Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we study a chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. We're in chapter 20 in this iteration of our group learning program, which is titled Animal to Human, The Evolution of Our Consciousness. In this chapter, I talk about helping you to understand how the human mind in the unenlightened state is moving from this animal existences and this conditioning that we experience in the animal realm into the human realm. Now, beings coming into the human realm can really come from any of the different realms, but oftentimes we're coming out of the animal realm, and this is where we see a lot of animalistic instincts that we experience in the human world. And by understanding these animalistic instincts that we experience as part of the unenlightened mind, then you can understand more and more of what you're shedding as part of moving to enlightenment, becoming more and more human as you move closer and closer to enlightenment. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class today, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining us many times in the past, we're actually going to be restarting this program in about six weeks. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is a great time to join because you can kind of get in the habit of coming to class regularly and then we'll actually be restarting at the beginning of April. And if you have been with us for a while, you can restart when we restart in April and kind of learn from the beginning all over again. But either way, I would like to welcome you to our class today because this is where we're going to be talking about the cycle of rebirth. As we were learning throughout the beginning part of our program, this seven-month program, there were different times when people were asking questions about the cycle of rebirth, and I would typically kind of answer them to a certain level of detail and mostly just kind of say, you know, let's save that for a later time because when you're first learning things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, all the other teachings that you need in order to move closer to enlightenment, Things like developing your meditation practice. It really doesn't make sense to really dive into understanding the cycle of rebirth at that time. But once you get a lot of that underway and you're starting to understand more of the path, you're starting to see the truth in the Buddhist teachings, you're starting to be able to independently verify the truth for yourself through looking at the teachings, learning those, reflecting on them and practicing them, then there becomes a time where it just makes sense to start learning a bit about the cycle of rebirth because it helps you to understand the bigger problem that we all are encountering as part of this unenlightened mental state. Because what we're guided towards in the Buddhist teachings is to eliminate discontentedness. That's the ultimate goal of this path to enlightenment. And that's what's going to solve this 
difficult human existence that you have right now. You're going to be able to experience this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. But the bigger problem that you're actually solving by solving the discontent mind in this life is the cycle of rebirth so that you can get out of this cycle and stop experiencing this continuous discontentedness over and over and over. And I'm going to help you to understand these problems a bit more from what we've talked about at other parts of our program as a refresher for those of you guys that have been in the program for a while. And for those of you guys that are joining for the first time, you'll hear some things for the first time that you maybe haven't heard me taught before. And I'll teach to a certain level of detail to help you understand this human mind that you're living in so that you understand how it moves from this animal instincts, this animal rebirth where it's conditioned very much to function like an animal into this human realm where now the mind still tends to have some animalistic instincts. So I'll share that with you today and we'll get into the various realms. We'll be talking about that. And as we go, as always, you're welcome to ask any questions. All you need to do is put your question into the comment section of Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that and be able to ensure your question gets asked during the class. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand. The moderators will see that and you'll be able to ask your question or any follow-up questions directly. So let's go ahead and start discussing the things that I prepared to talk with you guys about. Let's talk about the problems that the unenlightened mind is experiencing in this human existence. It's really the problems that all existences are experiencing. No matter what realm of existence you're in, these are the same problems. But we'll talk about them in terms of this human existence, this human realm, because that's what you're most familiar with at this point. The high-level problems that each unenlightened being is experiencing is craving, anger, and ignorance, or this unknowing of true reality. It's also described as greed, hatred, and delusion, or confusion, or these misunderstandings or misperceptions of reality. That's what we experience in the unenlightened state and why the mind struggles and have difficulties. There's this craving where there's this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind wants the objects of its affection. And if it gets the objects of its affection, it experiences these conditioned, pleasant feelings, happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria, and so forth. But if we experience something disagreeable or we don't get what we want, then we experience these painful feelings of sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, things like this. And then there's also those feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. I usually put boredom, loneliness, shyness, displeasure, things like that in that category. But nonetheless, there's this unwholesome quality of craving, desire, attachment, greed, where the mind is chasing after its own pleasures. It wants certain things. It wants the objects of its affection. And if it gets it, then it experiences these pleasant feelings. And for a period of time, the mind kind of feels like it was a worthy pursuit because it experiences that conditioned happiness and excitement. But then somewhere along the line, that impermanent condition changes, and now the mind starts experiencing the painful feelings. But oftentimes, the difference between when we experience the pleasant feelings and when we experience the painful feelings, there's a large gap in between. 
and the unenlightened mind doesn't associate that these painful feelings are actually happening because we're allowing the mind to base its inner feelings on these impermanent conditions to chase after these pleasant feelings. So if you get a new job, for example, you can get really excited and really happy about that new job. And then six months later, you feel all this misery and all this pain and displeasure. And you don't associate that boredom or loneliness or displeasure that you're now experiencing in your job that six months prior, you allow the mind to go into this excited mental state based on this condition of the new job. So we don't see the connection here because oftentimes they're very far away. But at some point when we start experiencing these painful feelings, this is where our anger, our hatred, our ill will can arise. This is where the mind becomes aggressive and hostile. Unskillful conduct can be motivated out of anger, hatred, and ill will. Our intentions, our speech, and our actions can be tainted or polluted with this anger, hatred, and ill will. And oftentimes, because we're lacking the understanding of what's going on in the unenlightened mind, we attribute these painful feelings to something outside of us, to a person or to a situation or to various things around us. And we think that that outside thing is actually causing the painful feelings. And we try to push people away or we push situations away and we build this wall between us and them thinking that that's going to solve the problem. Because we have this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality, this delusion, this confusion, this misunderstanding, this misperception. We don't understand what we don't understand in the unenlightened state, that what's really causing those painful feelings to arise is our craving, our desire, our attachment. And because of this ignorance, this delusion, this unknowing of true reality, the mind just keeps experiencing these painful situations over and over and over like we're stuck in this cycle because we're not learning the wisdom of what's really causing all of these difficulties and complications in our life. And it's when we study and learn the teachings of the Buddha, not believing his teachings, but instead that we learn then we independently verify them through reflection and practice that we then see the truth and we gain this wisdom that the mind is actually causing itself to be discontent because of that craving, desire, attachment. And when we gain this wisdom, then the Buddha's teachings provide us the remedies of how to transform the mind away from this craving, anger, and ignorance, these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots or these three fires, we can transform the mind away from that and we can start practicing what's called the three wholesome roots of generosity, loving kindness and wisdom. But it's first through learning, reflecting, and then we start practicing to acquire this wisdom that we then start to understand the real problem of craving and anger and how this is causing us difficulties in our life, in our personal and professional relationships. And what we talk about when we say awakening the mind is you're essentially gaining this wisdom in the Buddhist teachings to now make wiser choices and to now process the world around you very differently. Instead of seeing and thinking that the problems are external, you start understanding that the problems are actually internal. And now you can actually focus on the real problem and therefore you can experience real results. 
because all through our life when we've been pushing friends and family and situations out of our life and we're having this aggressive and hostile speech and actions towards people, it hasn't been working. We just keep getting more of the same because the more that we are unskillful in our conduct, the more that that stuff is all coming back to us because of the natural law of gamma. So it's when we understand these three poisons or these three unwholesome roots, these three fires, that then with further study, we can dive deeper into what's called the 10 fetters. And now we can understand these problems or these pollutions or these defilements in the mind in a much more detailed way. And now we can skillfully work with the mind, applying the antidotes and transforming the mind to now function in a way that doesn't have this pollution. And now the mind can be liberated. One of the challenges that we experience as part of these 10 fetters is what's called personal existence view. This is the very first of the 10 fetters. And we've talked about this at different times in this program about how the unenlightened mind associates with this image of the body, this self image as being who you are as a person. And we think that when we get older, that that's us getting older. Or if we don't look the way that we want to look, then we feel like, you know, a diminished person or we feel degraded. Or if somebody says something negative about our physical appearance and the way that this physical body looks, then the mind becomes discontent because the unelated mind is thinking that this physical body is who you are when this physical body isn't who you are. This is just a physical form that you were born into this world with, but this isn't who you are. And then there's this self-identity in the mind that's part of personal existence view, where the unenlightened mind attributes certain qualities of the mind and certain identification in the mind is who we are. You know, I'm an American uh, with a wife and a son, and I'm a Buddhist teacher, and I am this, and I am that, and I am this, and I am that. And there's all this I am, I am you know, I'm, an, I'm not this, but other people might think that I'm an accountant or I'm a IT professional or I'm an artist or I'm a house cleaner or I don't have a job. I'm, I am unemployed or, you know, I am disabled or I have all these things in the mind. I am, I am. And because of this self-identity, the mind holds on to this thinking that that's who you are as a person. When, when you realize what the Buddha teaches at as part of the universal truth of non-self, you realize that you aren't any of these things, that there's just this physical body and there's this mind that has come together for this existence and none of these things identify with who we are as a person, but the mind, because of this ignorance and this delusion, this unknowing of true reality, it falsely believes that this physical body or this mind is who you are as a person. And then that's where there's some discontentedness that comes into the mind because of that. And then there's also this conceit or this arrogance, this pride, this measuring and comparing, this judging of others. This is what we refer to as the ego, you know, the personal existence view and the conceit together we call the ego. We talked about this as part of chapter 16. And Due to our previous existences, as well as our current existence, the mind gets conditioned to believe and think and falsely perceive certain things about who we are as a person. 
and then the mind wants to protect this physical body and we think that this physical body is who we are so now when somebody says something disparaging we need to mentally protect ourselves with certain words or certain actions because we are offended right the mind gets offended in the unenlightened state so these current life and these previous lives that we've all experienced condition the mind to function in a certain way and when we move from one existence to the other what comes with it is actually this craving desire attachments the things that the mind has this mental longing and strong eagerness for and residual memories so you can almost think of the cycle of rebirth as this continuous stream of existence after existence after existence after existence and if existence a is a cardboard box and existence b is a cardboard box when cardboard box a is over there are certain cravings and residual memories that move into cardboard box b cardboard box a and cardboard box b are completely different cardboard boxes they are completely different different shape different color different size different texture everything like that but there's these residual memories and some cravings that move from one existence to the other so even though we're in this human existence we're in a physical body that is human and we have a mind that is human from our previous countless animal existences there's been certain conditioning that we've learned as part of the animal world that we bring into the human world and we adopt as human beings for example this conceit of measuring and comparing of who's above and who's below each other this is part of what we experience in the animal existence and we'll talk about this as we go forward here because in the animal world this kind of thing works but here in the human world it doesn't really work so we experience these continuous difficulties of this continuous rebirth and even though cardboard box a and cardboard box b is completely different and the only thing that's moving from one existence to the other is craving and residual memories we call this the cycle of rebirth this is how it's been translated over the years but there actually is truly nothing that's actually being reborn because it's a brand new existence it really should be discussed as the cycle of new existence because each existence is a new existence but you can actually have residual memories of previous lives which we'll talk about as part of our class today as well but before we go further i would like to just stop here and, and be sure that you understand the real problem that you're facing in terms of a unenlightened mind is this craving anger and ignorance in this cycle of rebirth and it's through eliminating craving anger and ignorance that helps the mind experience this enlightened mental state where it's peaceful calm serene and content with joy and once the mind is experiencing that then not only have you solved the problem of discontentedness but you've solved the problem of this continuous rebirth in the cycle of new existence and you will no longer experience any sickness aging and death because without birth there can't be any sickness aging and death so as long as we're born we're going to keep experiencing sickness aging and death over and over but once we attain enlightenment we eliminate the cycle of rebirth then we will no longer be born so therefore 
this difficult human existence or any existence in the cycle of rebirth itself has been eliminated because we've now escaped the cycle of rebirth. And it's the eightfold path, which is the path to enlightenment, which is the escape from the cycle of rebirth. It ex helps us to escape from discontentedness, but it also helps us to escape the cycle of rebirth. You're actually solving two problems at one time. So let me see if you guys have any questions on this before we go on to the next thing that I was going to share with you as part of today's class. Hello, teacher. As for the cycle of rebirth, I was wondering who is controlling this cycle of rebirth? There's no entity, no being, no force, no energy that's actually controlling it. What it is, is it's the natural law of gamma. So it just happens automatically. It's not something that anybody needs to monitor or control or any being is taking care of. It just happens because it's a natural law, just like gravity. There's nobody that controls gravity. There's no on switch. There's no off switch. There's no being that controls that. It just happens as a natural law. And the natural law of gamma happens the same way. Well, is there a way to uh, stop this natural law? There's no way to stop the natural law of gamma, but you can produce wholesome gamma so that you're no longer experiencing unwholesome gamma. So since we're talking about gamma a little bit, for those of you guys that haven't been part of this program for the extended period, what gamma is, is it's cause and effect. It's action and result. It's the results of our decisions. We use this word gamma or karma, you might have heard before, because there is no other one word translation in English. If there was a one word translation, I would just use that instead of this word gamma. But what gamma is, is the result of our decisions. It's not this mystical, magical thing that's following us around. It's not this black cloud. It's just cause and effect, action and result. For example, when you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to others, then other people are polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to you. If we're impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful, then that's the way people will be with us. So this natural law of gamma of cause and effect, there's always some cause or condition or some action that's leading to an effect or some result. And that result is our gamma, the results of our decisions. And it's either going to be wholesome or unwholesome based on how we make decisions. And when we have the wisdom of the Buddhist teachings, then we can make wholesome decisions that lead to wholesome outcomes. When we don't have this wisdom, we just run around this world roaming and wandering around the cycle of rebirth, knocking down trees, burning up the forest, thinking we're making all the best decisions in the world. But in reality, we're knocking down the trees and burning up the forest because we're lacking the wisdom. We have this ignorance, this unknowing of true reality. And as long as we have that there, then we can't make 100% wholesome decisions. Our decisions are still tainted with things like craving anger and ignorance. And that's why we experience the difficulties and struggles because we're making unwholesome decisions. And when we put those unwholesome decisions out, unwholesome things come back to us. But what this path is all about is gaining the wisdom of how to make wholesome decisions through this wisdom. And now when we make wise decisions, then we experience wholesome outcomes because we're doing only wholesome things in the world. A question from Jen on Zoom. She writes, thank you, Richard David. 
Sometimes I am very surprised by a craving that seems to come out of nowhere. For example, I became very afraid that my spouse will die. He wasn't sick. Nothing was wrong. I wasn't thinking about him. What might cause this? This is just craving arising in the mind. And the important thing is not what caused it because we know that cravings in the mind and you're going to have all these various craving and desire attachments there. This is the mind holding on. What's more important is when you see it arise, that you take note of it, that you're attached to your spouse and that you would like to eliminate that. And then you get guidance on how to eliminate the craving desire attachment to your spouse so that you can have a relationship without having the craving desire attachment. Thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So the next thing I would like to share with you, but before I change slides, I will just share something with you to kind of preface what I'm going to share with you next. The next thing I'm going to share with you is the five realms of existence. And I'm going to explain each one of these realms in detail and help you to understand the beings that are in those realms and what they experience in those different realms. But I need to preface it because as you know, everything that I've taught you from the very beginning, I always share, don't believe anything that I have to say. Don't believe anything that the Buddha says. Don't believe anything you see written in a book because belief isn't going to help you to gain wisdom and ascend to enlightenment. Instead, what you do is you learn, you reflect, and you practice to be able to see the truth for yourself. That's the first thing. The second thing to keep in mind is you've always heard me share that the Buddhist teachings are not a religion. I consider religion to be a kind of faith practice where people have collected up teachings and then they distribute those teachings from a centralized organization and then they assign rites, rituals, ceremonies and worship to those teachings and kind of obligate the followers to now all believe the same thing and then practice the same rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship. And if you understand religion to be this same way, then you understand that Gautama Buddha's teachings are not religion at all because there's no centralized organization that has collected up the teachings, that distribute the teachings, and there are no rites, rituals, ceremonies, and worship that are part of the original source teachings of the Buddha. He never taught any rites, rituals, ceremonies, or worship. So these teachings are not religion. But depending on what you've been exposed to throughout your life and when you've been in certain settings and you might have heard the discussion of things like heaven or hell, that might have been a certain religion. And there might have been people there that were maybe using guilt, shame or fear in order to motivate people to learn and practice what it is that they were actually sharing in that setting. Gautama Buddha never used guilt, shame, or fear in order to motivate people to learn and practice his teachings. A Buddha doesn't function that way because what a Buddha is working towards is helping people to eliminate discontentedness, which includes guilt, shame, and fear. Is An enlightened mind wouldn't have any guilt, shame, and fear along with all the other discontent feelings. So if you've been experiencing guilt, shame, and fear in other traditions that are associating with heaven and hell and things like this, that conditioning of mind and those experiences that you had might actually come into the mind when you start hearing me talk 
about these different realms of existence or when you read the Buddha talking about these different realms of existence. But we don't use guilt, shame and fear to motivate people to learn these teachings. People need to have their own motivation. People need to be understanding that teachers are here to support you and encourage you and guide you. But your motivation is your motivation. This is why we don't try to force people or pressure people into learning these teachings because people have to make a million and one decisions on the path to enlightenment. And they have to be personal choices so that they learn through their personal choices and they get closer and closer to enlightenment through their own personal choices. A Buddhist practitioner, a Buddhist would never look to share these teachings in a way that is going to produce guilt, shame, and fear because we're working to eliminate those things. So we wouldn't be using guilt, shame, and fear in order to eliminate guilt, shame, and fear. It just doesn't work. So each individual practitioner needs to make the choice to step forward and pull the teachings into their life, not have them pushed into their life. So this is why you don't get emails from me of, did you meditate today? Did you meditate yesterday? Did you meditate last week? I don't do that because it's your practice. It's your own journey. I'm here as a support. I'm here as guidance. As you reach out and ask questions and you seek guidance, I'm here to help you but I'm not going to push or force these teachings on you because that's not going to help you. Each individual person has to choose to learn and progress and make a million and one decisions on the way to enlightenment. So as I share these five realms of existence, don't allow any conditioning that you've experienced in other parts of your life to kind of make its way in to maybe have you feel like there's any guilt or shame or fear or any kind of interest to scare you into practicing one way or another. Because remember that these realms are all impermanent. What we are often taught in other traditions is that depending on what you experience in just this one life, you're either going to a good place or a bad place after this, and then it's permanent. But we know that's not true because of the universal truth of impermanence. It can't be true. Uh, so as I share this with you, I'll share with you the five realms and what these beings experience in each realm. But this is as a way to help inform you of what really exists in the way that the Buddha shared it in the way that I share it. This is what exists. And then after I share this with you, I'll spend the rest of the class helping you to see more and more of the truth of things that you have been exposed to in this life that can help you see that the cycle of rebirth is true. My goal isn't to prove the cycle of rebirth is true to you. That's not what my goal is. My goal here is just to share this information with you and then allow you to move forward to learn it and understand it more and more. Because we've all been taught at different parts of our life, most likely, that we only get one life. But we don't have any evidence that there is just one life. We don't have that evidence, just that we don't remember necessarily of what our previous lives were, it doesn't mean that we only get one life. So we've been taught that we've only get one life, but we don't have any true, concrete, independently verifiable evidence that we only get one life. But the more you look at the cycle of rebirth, the more you understand it in today's class and in other classes, there's a mountain of evidence that shows that the cycle of rebirth is actually true. So as we progress in this, Feel free to ask questions, feel free to understand, and at the same time, understand that in one class, you're not gonna understand the cycle of rebirth. 
there's going to need to be multiple conversations, multiple classes, multiple readings in order for you to understand the cycle of rebirth, particularly if you've been taught your whole life that you've only ever got one life. So being exposed to something like the cycle of rebirth, it's going to take a lot of time to wrap your mind around that, especially if you've been taught, like I mentioned, your whole life that you only actually get one life. So I see Nick just rose his hand. So before I move into the next thing that I would like to share, let's just see what Nick's question is. Yes, teacher, there's a question on Facebook from Denise. Mm -hmm. She writes, there is a Tibetan Buddhist quote that I have heard that every person is our mother or father at different cycles of rebirth. So to treat everyone with this in mind, is this a correct view or not? And thank you, teacher. Yes, these are the words of the Buddha. He shares how it would be impossible for you to find a being today that exists that has not previously been your mother, father, brother, sister, son or daughter or some other relative. So every human being, every animal, every other being in all these other realms, they've been your mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter, or some other relative at some point in your multiple countless rebirths throughout this cycle of rebirth. And this is one of the reasons why we arise loving kindness and compassion for all beings, because all of these beings are our family members. And if you ever come here to Thailand in Chiang Mai, you'll actually see that on display that as we go around in restaurants and as we see strangers and we go to shops, we call like the old lady in the store, we call her our mom or our grandmother, or we call the old man our father or our uncle, uh, or we call children our children, you know, son or daughter here in the village and outside the village. You see that here in Chiang Mai that we refer to each other, even people we've never met before as if they are our relatives. And by getting that deeply soaked into the mind, it really helps you to cultivate loving kindness and compassion when you see people in your community struggling or having difficulties. It allows you to arise that and practice your intention, speech, and actions to have loving kindness and compassion. So let's go into talking about the five realms. And I'll share this with you. And at the end, I'll open things up for any questions that you have. Remember that none of these realms are permanent, that beings are moving in and out of these realms all the time. So even when we talk about the heavenly realm, for example, this very first one, this isn't a permanent resting place. This isn't a desirable place to be necessarily, because in the heavenly realm, this realm, they experience only pleasant feelings. So out of discontentedness, that pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, beings in the heavenly realm only experience pleasant feelings, those conditioned pleasant feelings. They're unenlightened. They're still in the cycle of rebirth, and they can easily be reborn down into any of the other realms, including hell, animal, afflicted spirit, and human realm. They can cultivate their mind and their consciousness to attain enlightenment in the heavenly realm. But oftentimes, because they're only experiencing pleasant feelings, they lack the motivation to do so. They're not like human beings where we experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. They're experiencing exclusively pleasant feelings. So in that state of mind, 
they oftentimes lack motivation to learn, reflect, and practice. So from that standpoint, it's really not a desirable place to be. While it's lots of pleasant feelings going on, and there's these elongated existence in terms of the lifespan of the beings in those realms, they have very long lifespan in the heavenly realm, but they are oftentimes reborn down into other realms because they lack this motivation to learn, reflect, and practice to attain enlightenment. But they do have the ability to attain enlightenment in that realm. In the human realm, we experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. We have the ability to cultivate our consciousness and actually attain enlightenment. We can evolve our consciousness and grow. We oftentimes have the motivation to do so because we experience all three feelings. And therefore, this human realm is considered to be the most ideal existence. Because we experience all three feelings, we have the motivation. We don't like those painful feelings. We're interested in getting away from them. So we have the motivation to actually learn and practice. Where in that heavenly realm, they're not experiencing that. So they oftentimes lack the motivation. But here in the human realm, we can develop our consciousness, we can evolve, we can learn, we can reflect, and we can practice gaining wisdom and moving closer and closer to enlightenment and ultimately eliminating all discontentedness and experiencing enlightenment to escape this cycle of rebirth. So out of all these five realms, the human realm is the most desirable. This is the one that we should aspire to actually experience. And now that all of us are experiencing this human realm, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to make your way towards enlightenment. You wouldn't be interested in seeing this human life go to waste. This is one of the reasons why it's important that should you ever think about harming yourself in terms of suicide or something like that, realize that that's going to create an undesirable experience, you can be reborn down into the lower realms because of that, and you've just essentially wasted this human life where you could actually end the suffering through learning, reflecting, and practicing rather than continuing the suffering. Whereas if we only think we have one life and the solution is to kill ourselves, and that's going to solve the problem, when you understand true reality, that it doesn't solve the problem, it actually makes it worse because now we roam and wander in the cycle of rebirth more readily and a lot more lives and you realize that actually harming this physical body or doing anything like suicide actually makes things tremendously worse for us. So while we're in this human existence, and yes, it is a difficult human existence to experience pleasant feelings, painful feelings, and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, we at least have that motivation to get away from those things and we can cultivate our consciousness and evolve to a better existence in this life and potentially get to enlightenment and escape the whole cycle of rebirth. But if we practice to a certain degree and we don't experience enlightenment in this life, then our rebirth is going to be an improved rebirth, either in this human realm or perhaps being reborn into the heavenly realm. But if we do nothing, then we will continue to experience all the displeasure, the unsatisfactoriness of the mind, and we will continue to experience all of this discontentedness and potentially be reborn into these lower realms, which would then be really difficult to get back out of. The Buddha describes these lower realms of existence, particularly hell in the animal realm. He de describes them as a prison 
that once we're reborn into those realms, it's extremely difficult to get out of them. And we can talk about why that is once we start talking about these realms. So once we make our way to this human realm based on all of our past decisions, it's almost like a joyous thing, even though we're confronted with all this misery and all this despair, all this suffering. There's enjoyable aspects of the human life too. And as you awaken the mind closer and closer to enlightenment, things get really much more enjoyable. When we're dealing with all that pollution of mind, all that sadness and loneliness and bitterness and anguish and all of that stress and anxiety, yeah, that's very miserable. But when you get rid of this pollution and you start eliminating it and diminishing it more and more, ascending to this enlightened mental state, life actually gets more and more enjoyable as you get closer and closer to enlightenment. You might have actually felt very, very miserable, which actually motivated you to learn and get on this path. By the time you get to enlightenment, it's like, hmm, I could do this for a thousand years, 5,000 years, 10,000 years. This is quite wonderful. But when you were down in the darkness, it was like, oh my goodness, just let me out of here, please. I don't want to experience this ever again, right? So as we awaken the mind with this motivation in this ideal existence, we start experiencing a more peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. There's this enjoyment that comes into the mind as part of experiencing enlightenment. These lower realms are very different than what we've been talking about so far. In these lower realms, you can't actually attain enlightenment. There's no possibility to attain enlightenment in these lower realms. In these lower realms, you can be reborn up into the human realm or even the heavenly realm. But from these realms of afflicted spirits, animal, and hell, you can't attain enlightenment in those actual realms. So in the afflicted spirit realm, some people might refer to this as ghost or hungry ghost. You might hear them refer to this particular realm. This realm experiences exclusively painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. They can't cultivate their consciousness to the point of attaining enlightenment they can cultivate their consciousness enough to move up in these different realms, but they can't actually attain enlightenment from that realm. They have extensive amount of craving, desire, attachment to people and places and possessions. This is where we say, you know, there's this ghost that is haunting the house. They're not necessarily haunting the house. They're craving, they're holding on. They don't want to let go of this house or certain people or certain possessions that they had in their human life, they don't wanna let go. They have this extensive amount of craving and they're reborn into this afflicted spirit realm. So from there, you wouldn't be interested in being in that realm whatsoever. The same thing with the animal realm. The animal realm, while we have animals in our life and we've domesticated a lot of animals and we gain a lot of joy from animals for the most part you know animal life is quite miserable even more miserable than the human realm because they can't cultivate their consciousness to the point of experiencing enlightenment in the animal realm they experience the same three feelings of pleasant feelings painful feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant but in the animal realm they pretty much sit around all day long right they just play they eat they urinate, they defecate, they have sex, they fight, they kill. 
there's all these kind of unwholesome things that are being done in the animal realm. Oftentimes they're killing just to sustain their life. So in the animal realm, we function like animals, right? We, we have this craving, we have this anger, we have this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality and it motivates this unskillful conduct, right? And this is what we ex have in this animal realm. And because of the things that are done in the animal realm, it's very hard to move out of the animal realm because oftentimes animals are needing to kill just to survive. So as part of this natural law of gamma that affects all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, when we're in animal existences and we're killing and killing and killing and killing, there's a certain amount of hatred or anger or ill will. There's a certain amount of selfish desires that we have in order to be able to uh, function as an animal. And it's very difficult to escape that because we need to do those things in order to survive. So for example, like a lion or a tiger in the animal world will go around and mark its territory with urinating and defecating and spreading its scent. And it's marking off its territory that this is my territory. And then if another animal comes into that area, then there's this arrogance, this ego of wanting to fight and, and keep people out because they're wanting control over this certain space within the animal uh, kingdom in the area that they've marked out. In the animal realm, there's a certain pecking order. There's usually like an alpha male or an alpha female that kind of controls the pack and everyone else kind of follows. There's like this pecking order that is really needed in the animal realm in order for us to survive in the animal realm. There's the matriarch of the elephants, of course, the oldest female who has the most wisdom of the herd of elephants. And she's responsible for taking us to the water and to the food and to everything else that's part of our survival. And this matriarch, this alpha female, she's at the top and all the rest of us heave to her demands, right? And there's other animals like in the a wolf pack, you know, there's an alpha female and an alpha male who kind of control the rest of the pack. If two wolves that are kind of a lower rank get in a fight, then maybe the alpha female or the alpha male will come over and kind of try to get their arms around that and kind of create some cohesiveness in the, in the pack. So in this animal realm, our mind is oftentimes conditioned to have this arrogance, this measuring and comparing, this conceit, this, you know, judging, you know, who's above me and who's below me. And we also in the animal realm, if somebody does something that we don't like, we often get very aggressive and very hostile. We bark and we get angry and we bite and we fight each other in the animal realm, sometimes fighting until death because somebody has done something that we don't like. Right. And this is all part of our animal existences. We need to fight. We need to be aggressive. We need to be hostile. And that's how we maintain our survival without being able to fight in the animal realm. We may not exist for very long. And we also walk around in the animal realm with a certain amount of fear, because if we don't have that certain amount of fear, then maybe we won't be on guard and we won't really protect what we need to protect in terms of our territory for food or protect the physical body in order to sustain life. So there's all these unwholesome qualities that are part of 
the animal existence that get ingrained into the mind. And they're there for a reason because they're there for survival. But we have these countless animal existences over and over and over and over again that creates this conditioning of mind that is helpful in the animal realm. But then when we're reborn out of the animal realm into the human realm, still having this conditioning of mind, then we struggle in this human realm. We struggle because we function very much like an animal. And human beings are not animals, but the unenlightened mind functions very much like an animal because of our conditioning. When people in this human realm do things that we find pleasurable, we might smile, we might be happy, we might be kind. And then in the unenlightened state, if somebody does something that displeases us, much like an animal, we might fight, we might be hostile, we might be aggressive, right? And we're going to talk about this a bit more here as we go. So in this animal realm, there's no ability to move on and develop your consciousness because a monkey can't learn the teachings, gain this wisdom and start making all wholesome decisions or a dog can't do those things. They can't sit in meditation and train their mind in the same ways that we can. So animals operate on these basic survival instincts that are motivated by this craving, this anger, and this ignorance or this unknowing of true reality. And then in this hell realm, these beings experience only painful feelings. They can't cultivate their consciousness to attain enlightenment, just like the other lower realms. They have extensive, extensive, extensive amounts of craving and anger, as well as ignorance. This three poisons, they're just extensive in the mind. And these beings in the hell realm just experience all painful feelings. There's not even neither painful nor pleasant. It's just all painful feelings. Now, while we talk about these as five separate realms, it's important to understand that these aren't things that are like off away from each other. Oftentimes what we're taught is the heavenly realm is really far away, off in the sky somewhere. The hell realm is down in the core of the earth and this burning molten of the earth and so forth and so on. It's important to understand that while we call these realms and there's different beings in each of these realms, these are all happening within the same time and space. So just like I'm sitting here as a human being in this chair, if I was to get up, there could be an animal that could come sit in this chair or like an ant or a spider or a bird or something like this. And just like a human can sit in this chair, just like an animal can sit in this chair, also heavenly beings can be right here in the same time and space and afflicted spirits and hell beings as well. So they're aren't these separate realms that are so far away from each other that they're not able to come in contact with each other. So as we're human beings and we're interacting with human beings and we're interacting with animals, we're used to that. And that's kind of like a normal thing for us as part of our life in this human realm. But when we start awakening the mind or even before someone is awakening the mind, oftentimes there can be communication and interaction with these beings in the other realms. Human beings and heavenly beings can actually communicate with each other. Same thing, human beings and afflicted spirits can see each other and communicate with each other. 
And same thing with hell beings as well, because we're all within the same time and space that we can actually interact with each other. It's not something that you necessarily need to aspire for or that you should try to have happen, but it can happen. It's something that is possible to happen. And if it is happening, then you understand why. Because oftentimes as our mind awakens and we start experiencing memories of previous births, or we start experiencing communication with beings in these other realms, sometimes people feel like they're going crazy. Or if you talk to somebody and you say, I have all these memories of these past lives, and we might say that this is like multiple personality disorder. Or if you start hearing voices from this heavenly realm, or you start hearing voices from this hell realm, people might think they're actually going crazy, but this is actually quite normal. This is often diagnosed as schizophrenia, for example. But when you start understanding these different realms and you understand that this is possible, and there's a way for you to maintain stability of mind and not be shaken up by your ability to understand communication from these other realms, then your mind can be quite stable and you can be comfortable in this human existence. So let me pause here and see what questions you guys have to see if you guys have any questions on any of these five realms, what is experienced in these realms or anything else that I've talked about so far. Well, is the goal for this uh, these teachings is to have a rebirth in heaven? The goal is not to have a rebirth in heaven. The goal would be to learn and practice in such a way that you can experience enlightenment in this human birth and escape all of these realms. Continuing to exist in these five realms is not going to be desirable. It's not something that's going to lead to beneficial results. So if you have been taught that the goal is to be reborn in heaven, this isn't a desirable existence because if you're reborn in heaven, you still haven't escaped the cycle of rebirth. You're still in existence and you're going to continue to exist for continuous rebirth until you cultivate enough wisdom to eliminate discontentedness and eliminate the cycle of rebirth. Well, how can beings move from a realm to another? The way that we move from one realm to another is based on our condition of mind at the time of death. When we die, whatever the condition of our mind in terms of craving, anger, and ignorance, that's what's going to determine what realm we're actually born into. This is the natural law of gamma. If there is rebirth, rebirth itself whether we are reborn or we aren't reborn is based on craving desire attachment. So if there's craving at the time of death, then there's going to be rebirth. Then in terms of what realm we're reborn into in the condition of our existence, once we're in that realm is based on our gamma or the results of our decisions. Since that uh, Jean has a question, let's go to here. Oh, thank you. It took a, a moment to unmute. <laughs> thank you. I want to um, thank you for uh, all the moderators and teacher David for handling that Zoom bomb so gracefully. <laughs> it was a great model um, for us to see how you handled that. Um, but I, I do have a question. I have quite a few friends who are from Cambodia and Thailand, 
um, here in America. And they've often told me about experiences where they've seen um, hungry ghosts or they've seen um, beings from these other realms. And I just, it makes me wonder, um, I've never experienced anything like that myself. Would that partly be that I just, nobody's ever suggested to me that that might be true and I might experience that and that they have grown up believing that they could have contact with these realms? Everybody experiences things differently in the world because of the universal truth of impermanence. Even before knowing about these five realms, I had experiences when I was living in America in these five realms, but I never understood it at that time. It wasn't until I started understanding the Buddhist teachings that I understood why these things were occurring. So they can occur even without having ever known about these realms or understanding them, but everybody's different. Not everybody experiences things the same way. And you don't necessarily need to experience the beings in these various realms to know that the cycle of rebirth is true. And in reality, you really Mm -hmm. don't even truly need to know the cycle of rebirth exists in order to attain enlightenment. I mean, in order to attain enlightenment, it would be really wonderful for you at some point to really dive in deep and understand the cycle of rebirth more and more because it helps you to understand the connection of the buddhist teachings in various ways but if somebody just completely set the cycle of rebirth to the side all the way until like the super super end of the path then as if there is an end but you know as you get to maybe like the first or second stage of enlightenment if you never touched on the cycle of rebirth ever but you got to the first or second stage of enlightenment, you could actually start approaching the cycle of rebirth there because in terms of what you learn in the cycle of rebirth, it helps you to understand the bigger picture, the bigger problem that you're really facing. And it can be extra motivation to help you progress through to enlightenment. But in terms of what you learn in the cycle of rebirth, there's only a few things that I'm going to point out with you today and help you see that can really be helpful in terms of your progression to enlightenment. Because what's really going to get you to enlightenment are the things like the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, the Brahma Viharas, eliminating the ten fetters, extensive meditation training, things like this. This is the real wisdom that's going to help you get to enlightenment. What beings we were in the past, it's in the past. We're, we're no longer those beings, so it doesn't matter. If we're going to be reborn in the future from not attaining enlightenment, well, that's in the future. It hasn't happened yet. So what really, truly matters for all practitioners, and the reason why I suggest for people to set this to the side until later in their practice, is because all that really matters is right now this human existence and cultivating the wisdom in order to actually train the mind and actually get to enlightenment. That's what's really important. So while I introduce this to students here, and we talk about it more as we go in the other program of the Pali Canon in English, in reality, as I was learning these teachings and developing my understanding of these teachings, I never really believed that the cycle of rebirth was true or false until I actually observed past lives. And that's when I knew with 100% certainty that it was true. But for all that time before that, I just used it as motivation and encouragement to continue on the path because I wasn't interested in coming back to this place at all. 
you know, when I was experiencing the real struggles of all the pollution in the mine, I was like, I don't want to come back here at all. Just get me out of here. Right. And that is how I use the cycle of rebirth early on is just motivation to, to keep on going forward. Uh, so while we'll talk about this and you'll you can talk to people who have experienced beings in these various realms or they may have even observed their past lives. This is interesting. It helps us to see as an individual that, yes, this cycle of rebirth is real and true. But whether you have those experiences or not, you can still get to enlightenment with or without those experiences. Thank you, Teacher David. You're welcome. You're very welcome. And by the way, that that Zoom bomb, we haven't had one of those in a very long time. So it was interesting to see how we dealt with it. (laughs) Impermanence, right? We'll never we're never going to go, you know, forever without one of those things. (laughs) Well, let's go to Marcy. Um, So real quick, I'm not even sure how to ask this question. Um, It was one of the questions I posed on Facebook. Evolutionists, the great apes human evolution as in reference to historic archaeologists of, you know, signs of first life. Like, is there a way where the Buddha explains that? Because what I'm hearing here is like, this is like a comma, it's a cycle cycle of life with rebirths. So where, at what point in human evolution has, have we always been like this? Or did we emerge from like the great ape and that's how we developed our consciousness? The Buddha gives a creation story, and I put it into volume 11. You'll see it there. It's titled On Knowledge of the Beginnings. That's what the title of it is. And he gives a creation story, but I don't know that I necessarily gleaned anything related to what you're describing in, you know, kind of modern day scientists. They believe, they feel that we might have evolved from something like an ape or something like that. But I don't think that we have conclusive evidence on that. I don't know that, you know, 100% of scientists agree with that because that would be permanence, right? So how humans really evolved, we don't necessarily know 100% truth of exactly, exactly, exactly how we evolved. The Buddha does say that the beginning of the cycle of rebirth is undiscoverable. Like when did it start? and necessarily exactly how it started. It's undiscoverable. And the way that I think about it at this point is it doesn't actually matter because it's all in the past. The truth is, is that here we are, human beings, we're experiencing, if your mind is unenlightened, you're experiencing this unenlightened mind, and you're experiencing discontentedness, and you need to eliminate it. And we have these teachings of how to do that. So whether we evolved 2 billion years ago, 4 billion years ago, 20 billion years ago, whether we were fish first and then apes and then humans or whatever, however that happened, it doesn't actually matter at this point. It's interesting. It's one of those things. It's like, yeah, it would be really interesting to know 100% certainty. How did that happen and what was it? But in terms of how does it affect us in terms of training of our mind to experience enlightenment now, it really doesn't have any effect at all. So I tend to put things like that to the side because while there are scientists out there that have different theories of how this all happened, we don't know with 100% certainty how it happened. And as part of this path to enlightenment, we're always looking for truth. We're always looking for independent, verifiable truth of 
what did and didn't happen. And we aren't interested in repeating something that we haven't verified ourselves. So in terms of how humans evolved to where we are today, I don't have 100% certainty of how that happened. And I can share with you that you don't need to have that in order to train the mind right now to eliminate discontentedness. Well, let's go to uh, Christopher. Hi, thank you, teacher. I, um, my question, and I ha could probably ask about a million of them, but it sort of goes back to something that you said earlier when you used the example of getting a job and being really excited or perhaps prideful might be a better word to use there, which then six months later causes, uh, you know, discontent and, and other experiences. And so would you say moving back into this part about the different realms that it's sort of has that same cause and effect kind of relationship, like if you're stuck on one particular thing that you're holding to, then then you're going to stay there and it's in the letting go of that, that you're able to move beyond it. Yes, as long as the mind is holding on to anything at all, it's going to stay stuck in the cycle of rebirth because it hasn't let go yet. The mind's either craving existence or it's craving non-existence or it's craving something in this world. It's clinging. It's holding on to something. That's what's causing the discontentedness, but that's also what's causing the rebirth. So by training the mind to eliminate this discontentedness, and we can see that the condition of the mind is gradually improving because the peacefulness starts to come into the mind more and more. Because we can see that here and now, and we have the truth and the wisdom that we can see that that's happening, then we know that we're solving two problems. We're solving the discontentedness, but then we're also solving this escape out of the cycle of rebirth. Because as long as we hold on, hold on to anything at all, then there's going to be rebirth and there's going to be continuous discontentedness because as long as there's rebirth, there's going to be sickness, aging, and death. Thank you, teacher. You're welcome, sir. Well, Corantin has his hand raised. Let's go to him. Yes, hello, uh, teacher. Um, you mentioned that in the heavenly realm, we could atten attain enlightenment so that means we might be able to practice the teaching. That means the Buddha uh, led the teaching in this realm also, as, uh, as he did in the human realm. Yes, there's depictions in the original source text of the Buddha teaching humans, of course, but there's also depictions of him teaching heavenly beings as well. There are times where, particularly at night, uh, where he would be in a certain field and the whole sky would light up and heavenly beings would come and request teachings from him and he would share the teachings with them as well. Prior to a Buddha arising in the world, there's going to be all this misery and difficulties in the world and beings are being reborn into the lower realms a lot. But then once a Buddha shows up and starts sharing these teachings, of course, a lot of human beings are escaping out of the cycle of rebirth, but also there's a lot of beings that are going into heaven as well because they're not quite getting all the way to enlightenment. So what we say is like a Buddha fills up the heavenly realm. 
So once those beings are in the heavenly realm, they can attain enlightenment from there, but they can also learn from a Buddha when they're in that heavenly realm. Or they can also learn from students of the Buddha who are still around and continue to learn from there. But oftentimes, beings in that realm just lack motivation and they're not always motivated to learn, but they can learn. They have the ability to, and they can learn from us humans. And they can also learn from each other as well. Thank you, teacher. You're welcome. Well, is it possible for a being to move from a realm to another in the same life, or this only happens after death? It only happens after death. Each of these realms, they have a certain existence. Like we know in the human realm, you know, we tend to have, you know, between 60 to 100 years is kind of like our natural life when beings tend to kind of die, right? In different countries and different environments, we have different life expectancies. But that's kind of like that 60 to 100 years is kind of like what we tend to see. We don't see too many people go beyond 100, although it is possible. Well, these beings in these other realms, like the heavenly realm, afflicted spirit, animal, and hell realm, they have various lifespans as well. In the heavenly realm, it's a very long lifespan. I'm not so sure about the afflicted spirits realm. The animal realm tends to have very short lifespans because they're doing so much killing of living beings. They're doing so much sexual misconduct. They're doing stealing, right? They're stealing from other animals in order to eat and things like this. So the animal realm, their lifespan tends to be very, very short because the more you kill, the shorter your lifespan is going to be. So animals tend to have a very short lifespan. And in the hell realm, the Buddha talks about these existences are actually quite long as well. That once you're reborn into the hell realm, that you have very long life while you're there in that existence. Thanks, teacher. No more questions. All right. So now let's talk a bit kind of about past lives and helping you to understand that you've had past lives. And right now in your current existence, you may not remember your past lives. And I'm going to help you to see kind of an analogy in order to understand how this actually happens. So if you were in a certain city or a certain town and you walked outside your house or outside the building that you're in, you would basically be able to see what's on that street. And that's all you'd be able to see because you're right there on that level you're on that street and you'd be able to see what's going on in that street. You wouldn't be able to see two streets over or 10 streets over or anything like that. You'd only be able to see what's on that street. But if you moved up to a higher vantage point and you overlooked that town, you'd be able to see what was happening on each individual street. And you'd even be able to see how all these streets connect together. And you may even be able to see how different towns and different cities connect into each other. This is the same thing as a being who is in the unenlightened state. They oftentimes only are able to see the street that they're on. They're only able to see the life that they're living right now. And we don't even necessarily have full insight into that life. We tend to not be able to remember things really far in the past. We tend to only have kind of like a certain memory about our most recent happenings in our life. But as you start to clear out the pollution of the mind, this craving, anger, and ignorance, you start training the mind to evolve to this higher consciousness. It's like relocating on the top of a mountain and overlooking your life. You start being able to see more of this life 
and you start to be able to understand more of what you've been experiencing in this life. And as you evolve and you awaken the mind more, you might even come to a point in time where you start observing past lives and you start having memories of things that happened in previous lives. If you start having memories of being a male or a female in a past life, and now you might be a male and you're remembering that you used to be a female, or you're a male and you had memories of being a male in the past, or if you're a female, you might have memories of being a male or a female in the past, or you might have memories of past animal existences. These things are all normal as part of the process of awakening. It doesn't happen for everybody. You can actually get to enlightenment without ever seeing past lives. But I share this with you so that you're not surprised if you do happen to experience this. Because if we start experiencing residual memories from previous lives and we think we only get one life, then you can feel very crazy. You can feel schizophrenic when you start having all these memories. You might feel like there's multiple personalities in the mind. Or if you start remembering all these animal existences, it can be very unsettling if you've only ever been taught that you just get one life. But if you understand that you've already experienced countless existences in the past, some of those might have been human. Many, many, many of those were animals. The Buddha explains that we've all had so many countless births in the past that all the tears that we've cried in previous existences equals more water than all the water in all of the seas. He also uses the analogy that the blood that we've had in our previous existences equals more water than all the water in all the seas. He even talks about the milk that we've drank from our mother in these previous existences is more water than all the water in all of the seas. So it's just this plethora of number of existences. And right now we say that it's the year 2022, but scientists share with us that they have dated the earth to at least 4.5 billion years ago. Billion, right? We have this little minuscule life of 60 to 100 years, and that's like a blink of an eye, a drop in a bucket compared to 4.5 billion years. You know, we sit here and we talk about Gautama Buddha existing 2,500 years ago, and that just seems like such a long time ago for us. But 4.5 billion years of beings being constantly reborn over and over and over again, you can start getting the picture really quickly that what the Buddha said in terms of all the tears that we've cried in all of our previous existences equals more water than all the water in all of the seas can be quite true because there's been so much time for those existences to happen one after another. And you may not be aware of those, you might not observe those, you might not ever observe those, but for you to understand that they have occurred and that the struggles that you're encountering right now in this human existence is as a result of these countless rebirths and this conditioning of mind that's continuing from these countless rebirths, this can be really helpful for you. And that's what I'm going to start sharing with you next. So next, when we talk about moving from the animal existences to the human existences. Once you understand that you've had countless births in the past, 
then now it's a matter of talking about, well, you know, what are we experiencing in this unenlightened state? So the vast majority of those of us in the human realm, we've experienced these, you know, countless, countless rebirths in the animal realm. So those experiences that you see a lion having or a bear or a snake or any other animal, we've had all those same existences. So in terms of marking out our territory and not being comfortable with other beings coming into our territory, we do this, right? With our home, we mark it off with a fence or when we're out and about, we have this certain personal space that we don't want people to get into, right? We feel very uncomfortable if people come too close or if people come onto our land Right. There's people that have been murdered over that kind of stuff. Right. This is animal instincts, because as an animal, we go around and we mark our territory. And if another animal comes into our territory, we hunt them down and we kill them because they're now taking on our prey animals or they're taking on our our mates, the people who we're having sex with and we're reproducing with. Right. We've been taught as animals. These animal instincts have been conditioned in the mind that if someone comes into your territory, you should have fear. You should not like that. You should get angry. You should get hostile. And now you should aggressively try to force that person away from you because this other being coming onto your territory means harm. And this has been conditioned in our mind as animals. And now we retain that conditioning as human beings. Same thing, that when we're in the animal realm, we have food and we want to hoard our food and we want to eat all of our food. And if somebody comes close to us with our food, no, we don't want to share. We want to hold on to that food because we have this craving. We have this desire to hold on to our food. We're out for our own selfish desires in the animal realm. And this is what we also experience in this human realm in the unenlightened state that we don't like to give and share. We have to be taught to give and share. And we have to see that practicing generosity is beneficial for us because in the animal realm, we don't understand that. In the animal realm, we're just out for our own survival and we're just holding on. And sometimes we're stealing, right? In the animal realm, we lack memory. We lack the ability to remember things typically in the animal realm. All we kind of know is our most immediate future. We do have the ability in the animal realm to have memories, but they're not very well defined. So we lack the ability to have memory, just like the unenlightened mind. Animals also function through this praise and reward system. This praise and reward system is how we oftentimes train domesticated animals and we help animals to become domesticated by praise and reward when they do things that we like we praise them and we reward them and then they continue to do those same things over and over and over again well in this human realm we have that same thing we really revel when somebody praises us or when someone rewards us if we get a, a certificate at work that says we're like the employee of the month oh wow we really like that right or we go after these degrees or this competition or this contest to see who's the winner, right? We really like this praise and reward in the human existence because of our animal mind. And the mind has been conditioned over countless animal existences to experience this praise and reward. 
We also learn from a pack of like species. When we were a giraffe, we learned from other giraffes how to be a giraffe. Or when we were a bird, we learned from other birds how to be a bird. Or if we were a snake, we learned from other snakes how to be a snake. Or if we were a lion, we learned from other lions how to be a lion or ape or a monkey. Well, the same thing when we come into this human realm, we learn from other humans how to be more human. And when we are born into a world where we're surrounded by lots of craving, anger, and ignorance, then this is what our mind becomes conditioned to experience. So if we're born into a society of people, a certain country, a certain community, a certain family, where there's a lot of craving, anger, and ignorance, our mind adopts this same type of thinking because we learn from the same pack. We learn from our other human beings. Sure, there are some instinctive behaviors that we have as human beings, but the vast majority of what we experience is learned behaviors. And this is why the Buddha teaches us to cultivate wholesome relationships in our life. Because the more wholesome relationships that we have in our life, then we will cultivate wholesome qualities because we're learning from our pack of like species around us. When we're in that human world, even before we're on this path to enlightenment, we use certain language because of our understanding of this cycle of rebirth without having ever understood it, right? If someone is very aggressive or hostile, we might say, you're acting like an animal. We say this in our language. We say, you're acting like an animal. Why? Because this unenlightened mind of this human being is being aggressive, being hostile, just craving to get things for themselves, fulfill their own selfish desires. So we say you're acting like an animal, right? Or we say that you're fighting like cats and dogs, right? This is another kind of phrase that we use in the English language in order to refer to two people who are arguing or two people who are hostile or two people who are at odds with each other. We say you're fighting like cats and dogs. Right? This is the unenlightened mind that is fighting like cats and dogs because it's functioning very much like an animal. Even though we're human, our mind in the unenlightened state is functioning very much like an animal because of our past animal existences. We have so much conditioning from this animal existences and all these countless existences that we've had as an animal that human beings are fascinated with animals. So much so that we live side by side with animals nowadays. We bring them into our home as pets, right? We have this enormous fascination with animals, studying them, watching them, uh, observing them. We have stuffed animals that are animals, right? Not only do we have real living beings living side by side with us that are animals, but as we grow up, we watch cartoons that are animals. We have stuffed animals. We have all these things around us related to the animal world. Uh, some of us even wear prints on our body in terms of fabrics that are very much look like animal skin as animal prints because of our fascination with the animal realm, because of our connections back to that realm through our countless existences. The animal consciousness is preoccupied with this craving, anger, and ignorance, this arrogance, this ego, this conceit, in this self. And what we're doing is moving into this human realm is we're trying to shed that. 
That's what it means when we're walking towards enlightenment. When we're moving from the darkness to the light, what we're doing is we're shedding these animal instincts. We're shedding this animal conditioning. Effectively, what the path to enlightenment is doing is it's teaching us how to become more and more human. We're becoming more and more human by not killing each other, by not stealing from each other, by not having sexual misconduct, by not lying, by not having substances that cause heedlessness, by being able to practice harmlessness, this right intention, by practicing right speech, where we speak polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with each other. Because in the animal realm, when somebody does something that we don't like, right, we're really aggressive, we're really hostile. And that's what's happening when we practice wrong speech. When we practice wrong speech and we're aggressive and we're hostile with people, when we're not speaking with those five factors of well-spoken speech, we're functioning like an animal. And the more that you understand this, that you're trying to evolve from this animal consciousness to this human consciousness, then when you see these animalistic behaviors that are coming up, you can work on shedding that. You can work on letting that go. You can see that, yeah, I'm being really aggressive here. This is like an animal. I feel like an animal. Or if you've ever been deep into any kind of addiction, like a sexual addiction or a gambling addiction or a substance addiction or a shopping addiction, you feel like an animal, like you're chasing after a prey, right? That lion that's chasing after a gazelle or that lion that's chasing after a rabbit or something like that, that's the object of its affection. And it's chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. And if it gets it, then it's really pleased. It's really happy. It feels this excitement. But if it doesn't get it, it's angry. And we are the same way in this human realm, in the unenlightened state, when we have craving, desire, attachment that arises in the mind and we chase after shopping or we chase after money or we chase after sex, or we chase after gambling, or we chase after substances or some material possession. The mind is obsessed, just like that cheetah chasing a gazelle, or that wolf chasing a rabbit. We're chasing and chasing and chasing because of our craving. And then if other animals do something that we don't like, we have this anger and this hostility that comes into the mind. And where is all this coming from? It's coming from our ignorance, our unknowing of true reality. Because in the animal realm, we couldn't cultivate wisdom. All we were doing was functioning through animal instincts. But now in this human realm, in the unenlightened state, the mind is still being plagued by these animal instincts and this animal conditioning. And when you can observe it for what it is, which is based on our animal instincts and our animal conditioning, then you can work to shed all of that and actively work towards becoming more and more human. Because while some people consider human beings to be animals, we aren't animals. We were animals in the past. And in the unenlightened state, we function very much like animals. We're not animals now. We're a human being. And we can let go of our animal instincts. And we can evolve to a higher consciousness with the teachings with guidance, we can evolve to this higher consciousness and we can function through this wisdom because now we have the ability to do that as human beings, whereas animals, we weren't able to do that. Additionally, 
Evolving from this animal consciousness to the human consciousness is like walking towards a better existence. You're leaving behind and eliminating all these difficulties of the animal existence because living outside as a wild animal, it's quite harsh. Being exposed to all the elements, having to fight and be aggressive in order to get food and all the other things that we pursue as an animal in order to live our existence, we tend to do those things in the unenlightened mind. We tend to fight. We tend to clamor and claw towards wealth or towards some other central desire. It's through understanding these animal instincts and this animal consciousness that we can shed that and move towards this human consciousness. Through attaining enlightenment, we can not only eliminate discontentedness by becoming more human, but we can actually learn to peacefully coexist with all beings. We can't do that as an animal. As an animal, we can't peacefully coexist. Lions and hyenas will fight. Cats and dogs will fight. Snakes will attack a scorpion. A scorpion will attack something else. As animals, we can't peacefully coexist because we're eating each other. We have to do that in order for our survival. But here in the human realm, we don't have to do that. By gaining wisdom, we can actually move to this more human way of being and we can peacefully coexist through eliminating the conditioning of craving, anger, and ignorance. Through training the mind, we can evolve to this higher consciousness. The entire planet that we experience today there's not very many enlightened beings walking around. The vast majority of what we see in the world is unenlightened beings. This is the reason why we see fights and arguments. If you turn on the news, you see one person gossiping about another person or this person arguing about this person. This person stole something from this person. This person beat up that person. This person murdered that person. This person is cheating on this person. That person stole money from this person. This country is looking to go to war with that country. These people are fighting these people. All of this back and forth, back and forth, it's all because of these animal instincts, the craving, anger, and ignorance. The mind is unknowing of true reality, how to peacefully coexist with others. We want the objects of our affection. So as animals, we chase after the rabbit. And we think that rabbit is going to satisfy us. But then it only is temporary. And we have to chase the next animal and the next animal and the next animal. So as human beings, because of this craving, anger, and ignorance, we live in this world where there's lots of pervasive craving, anger, and ignorance. And because we're learning from animals in our animal existences, and then we move into the human existence, we learn from other humans we see other humans functioning through craving anger and ignorance and we kind of adopt those same ways of being so by you cultivating friendships and being part of a community like this and learning these teachings from a teacher you can start learning how to function like an enlightened being this is why sometimes i make posts you know an unenlightened being thinks this way and an enlightened being will think this way Right, to help you see the difference of how our mind has been conditioned throughout all of our relationships through observing craving, anger, and ignorance in so many different relationships that we don't really know any other way to function 
because that's the way our mind was conditioned in our past animal existences, and that's the way it's been conditioned in our human existence based on our parents and our family and our friends and our colleagues. We don't know another way to function other than through craving anger and ignorance when we're in the unenlightened state. But as you learn these teachings, you start gaining the wisdom of learning how to function in a different way. And then this is where you now experience better results in your life. Because as long as human beings are not walking towards the light and we stay in the darkness, then the world becomes just a darker and darker place to exist. By each one of us choosing on our own to walk towards the light, gaining this wisdom and training the mind, now we can experience peacefulness in our life. We can experience joy. And each of us individually can do that without other people needing to do anything at all. Because the problems that we're experiencing in the unenlightened mind is not the outside world. It's the inner world. It's what's going on inside the mind. So by eradicating the pollutions of craving, anger, and ignorance, transforming that to generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom, now we can function in a way where we can be harmonious with each other. We can be peaceful with each other. We can be loving and kind and compassionate. We can be friendly and we can be respectful with each other. But as long as our mind is plagued with this pollution of craving, anger, and ignorance, it's very difficult to do that. So that's what this whole path is all about, is helping you to understand how to eradicate this craving, anger, and ignorance so that you can evolve from these animalistic instincts towards this more human way of being. And this is why when you get to that first stage of enlightenment, if you die, you come right back into the human world. Or in the second stage of enlightenment, if you die in that stage of enlightenment, you come back into the human world because you've evolved the consciousness and you've become more human. Whereas if we're off this path or we don't quite get to the first or second stage, then there's a potential for us to be reborn into the lower realms because we haven't evolved our consciousness to the point of becoming more and more human. So by evolving our consciousness to be more and more human, not only do we experience a better life in this existence, but if there's rebirth, then we experience a better rebirth in our next existence. And the ultimate goal would be to eliminate all discontentedness so that we can escape the cycle of rebirth and no longer experience any rebirth whatsoever in the cycle of rebirth so that we no longer experience existence because as long as there's birth in this cycle of rebirth, there's going to be sickness, aging, and death. This misery, this despair, this displeasure is going to continue. So the way to get out of this cycle and break out of this cycle is to gain the wisdom of how to make wiser choices so that you can evolve the consciousness and get out of this cycle. So this is everything that I was going to share with you guys today. I'll just turn things over to all of you for any questions that you have. Remember, you can ask those by putting them into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions in Zoom by raising your hand electronically. Well, uh, let's go to Chrissy. Hi, Teacher David. Thank you. Um, I have a question that comes to mind um, when speaking of rebirth. What is it that is reborn? What is it that continues on? Um, is it the soul? Is it the mind? Is it the consciousness? Like, if we don't remember, or some don't remember, that that I'm curious 
as to that? What is it that continues? Sure, that's a very common question. The only thing that continues is craving and residual memories. We call it rebirth. And it kind of with that term, it kind of lends itself to think that there's something from this life that is being reborn in the next life. But in reality, they're completely new existences. So like right now, this physical body and this mind is human, and we call this being David. But before this, there was another human existence with a completely new physical form and a completely different consciousness. And that being had a different name. The only thing that moved from that being to this being is craving, any kind of craving that still existed in that being before this, and residual memories, remembering what the past life was. And then before that life, there was another human life before that. And that being's craving and residual memories came forward. But before that one, it was all a whole lot of animal existences. So in all of those animal existences, as I was dying in each one of those animal existences, it was craving and residual memories that were moving forward. And then eventually making it into the human realm, there was that very first human existence. And then there was a certain amount of craving, anger, and ignorance that was extinguished in that existence. But there was still craving. So because there was craving, there was this new birth of the second human being. But that second human being was a completely new being. The only thing that came forward was craving and residual memories. And then from that second being, now there's this third being that we call David. And this being David had cravings from all those previous lives that kept cascading forward. Even though they were diminishing more and more and more, they kept cascading forward as well as residual memories. And this is why some people can observe their past lives because there's residual memories there. So while we call it the cycle of rebirth, the way that is more accurate to describe it is the cycle of new existence because every single existence is new. The Buddha never taught whether there is a soul or there isn't a soul because the concept of a soul conflicts with the universal truth of non-self. And it also conflicts with the universal truth of impermanence too because if there's this permanent soul that goes from life to life to life then that conflicts with the universal truth of impermanence and the universal truth of non-self so he left the teaching about a soul as undeclared he didn't say that there is a soul or there isn't a soul he just left it as an undeclared teaching so the way that you should understand it is chrissy who you are today this physical body and mind while you have been reborn, there is this new life. Whatever beings you were before this, those were completely different beings with a completely different form and a completely different consciousness. The only thing that exists inside of Chrissy connected back to those previous existences is cravings and residual memories. This is why you can have like a little child who's like four years old that can be like a master pianist right? We call this person a genius. But in reality, what it is, is in their previous lives, they had those memories from their previous lives. They were most likely a master pianist in previous lives. And now at four years old, there's no way to explain how this four-year-old knows this amazing amount of piano other than their residual memories from previous lives. There's other things that I could share with you guys and point to you guys in the news of 
people who have these residual memories and they come into the news occasionally. But also, since I'm talking with Christy and some of you guys also have experience with Jesus Christ teachings, Jesus Christ actually did teach the cycle of rebirth because he said, I will come again. If we remember any of you guys that have studied Jesus Christ teachings, he said, I will come again. I will be reborn, right? There's evidence that shows in 543 AD, there was a pope who was jailed because there was teachings about the cycle of rebirth in the Christian teachings. And there was a king at the time that wanted the pope to take those teachings out. And the pope wouldn't do it. And the king put him in jail. And the pope sat there for two years with the king constantly asking him to take the teachings out of the cycle of rebirth. Well, finally, the pope relented after two years and decided to take the teachings of the cycle of rebirth out and taught that there's only one life. But there's still that teaching in the Bible where the Jesus Christ says, I will come again. I will be reborn. So even though for the last 1500 years, people have been taught that we only get one life, Jesus Christ himself, the Buddha and others are aware of the cycle of rebirth and they know that we get more than one life. I've spoken to Christians who are very deeply practicing Christians who are like in the medical field and they say even though they know that the current teachings of Christianity say we only get one life, they know from observing birth and death in the hospital that they know that there's the cycle of rebirth. Because if you've ever been around somebody who's been dying, oftentimes as somebody is dying, they are actually recalling memories from their previous lives. And they're just kind of saying them out loud. And anybody who's worked in the medical field and around people who are dying, you might have actually experienced this kind of thing. So from one life to the next, it's a completely new existence. We should really call this the cycle of new existence because the only thing that's moving from one life to the next is craving and residual memories. That's it. Everything else is completely brand new. Well, let's go to Marcy. So my question is, is we, the, everybody talks about overpopulation. Um, so my question is, is overpopulation attributed to the lack of, of people attaining enlightenment or not? I mean, Yes, that's overpopulation seems to be an issue. Yes, that's part of it. So what we've experienced, and this is another place where you can see how true the cycle of rebirth really is, is that what we've experienced is scientists say that 99% of the animals that once existed on this planet are now extinct. That even though we have all these animals in the world, we're only seeing 1% of the animals that actually have existed at any point in time. So basically the animal realm has shrunk significantly. And when animals are shrinking, they're typically being reborn into the human realm. This is why we're seeing an explosion in our human realm because we're seeing a, a shrinking of the animal realm. Beings are coming into the human realm, expanding, and it's just happening at the time that as we talked recently in class that a new Buddha was predicted to arise in 2017. So with all these humans in the world from shrinking down of the animal realm, now the human realm is kind of primed and ready 
for a new Buddha to arise so that these teachings can come into the world and now be shared in such a way that beings can really truly start getting out of this whole cycle of rebirth. So a new Buddha arising in the world will fill up the heavenly realm, but also there's going to be countless beings that will be able to escape this whole cycle of rebirth. And even though we don't talk about the end of the world, so to speak, the Buddha never talked about that. This is how we understand that it would ultimately come about is that we know that this universal truth of impermanence, humanity can't be permanent. The Buddha never spoke about this, but we can observe that humanity can't be permanent. But as beings start experiencing more and more enlightenment and they start escaping the cycle of rebirth, eventually there won't be any more beings to be reborn because we will have escaped the cycle of rebirth. So by shrinking down of the animal realm, and then the, that's why there's this explosion of the human realm. And you can see that matches directly to what we understand about the cycle of rebirth. Well, let's go to Nick for Facebook questions. Thank you, Basil. Yes, teacher, uh, there's a question on Facebook and, and YouTube. This is a, a couple-part question, so I'm going to start with YouTube. A question from Susan. She writes, she's been aware of the Buddhist presence and other teachers or ascended masters, and uh, she feels that it's benevolent and like they're sharing Nibbana with her. It's growing naturally, and he started paying more attention. So the first part of her question is, uh, are these beings, like a Buddha, heavenly beings, ascended masters, teachers alive or not, are they known to guide us or help us? Okay. She writes, I feel they're available to deepen the Dhamma. Is this common? That's the first part. Okay, so it's normal and it's common for beings in the heavenly realm to be interested in guiding us and being around us and, and guiding us. And even if you end up having a relationship with God, uh, not that you have to, but some people that do, God also guides us on this path as well. That's normal. That's completely normal. But in terms of a Buddha, a Buddha wouldn't guide you because once a Buddha exists, they attain enlightenment and then they escape the cycle of rebirth. They're no longer going to be in existence within the cycle of rebirth. So if you're experiencing any beings guiding you, this would either be heavenly beings or it would be a being like God who's in the heavenly realm. So that's where you might be receiving guidance from. And this is completely normal. In the second part of her question, sir, she writes, she thinks it's her own awakening, touching into the vast nibbana, which she is sensing more and more. Would that be correct? I would need to talk to you to help me understand why you say that you feel like you're feeling nibbana. We can talk about what that is and why you feel that. You're welcome to schedule a personal discussion for us to discuss that. I would be willing to help you to be able to clarify what you are experiencing. Most likely, it's not nibbana. Because if you were experiencing enlightenment or nibbana, you wouldn't be asking me if you were experiencing that. Because someone who is actually experiencing enlightenment, they know that they're experiencing enlightenment and they know why and they know all the different 
criteria of why they're experiencing enlightenment and what enlightenment is. So you might be experiencing certain aspects of the mind awakening and you're maybe needing some guidance to understand this, which that's what I'm here for. So you can reach out and schedule a personal discussion with me. One of the moderators can post the link for you to be able to schedule a personal discussion with me. And then we can talk about it then. And a question from Anal on Facebook. She writes, would the lack of good memory in the human state be a specific indicator that there is a stronger conditioning which needs to be worked on, left over from the animal existences of the past? Is memory retention vital to attaining a higher consciousness? Yes, yes, and yes, Manal. If somebody has a poor memory in the human realm, this is an indication that there's lots of pollution in the mind. And yes, that can be from the animal existences. And yes, a good memory is vital for ascension and a higher consciousness getting to enlightenment because you're going to need to be able to remember the teachings and retain them. Because when you're out and about in your daily life, you can't, you know, pick up a book and be like, uh, Barbara, uh, just hold on a second. Let me review these teachings about the five factors of well-spoken speech, and then I'll reply to you just one second, right? You, you can't do that. You're going to need to develop the ability to have a clear and concise memory in order to retain the teachings so that you can apply them in everyday situations. And while when we start this path, our mind is most often very, very muddled. And that's very normal that we have a poor memory when we first start. But you kind of incrementally build your practice more and more. And as you're building your meditation practice, you're building your practice of all these other teachings, your memory will gradually increase more and more because as you're clearing out the pollution of mind through the training on this path, your memory will gradually increase. So if you have a poor memory right now, it's okay. That's where you know, you're starting and that's understandable. But as you progress, you should start observing that your memory becomes better and better. And that's why we have things like chanting to kind of exercise the mind and hone it. That's why having these classes and being able to sit here for two hours and focus and concentrate and retain the teachings that somebody shares with you, being able to read these chapters and being able to read it and retain the wisdom of the Buddha and then be able to apply that in daily life. What you're doing in building your life practice is you're building this ability to learn, reflect, and practice. And as you do and you train your mind, you should start seeing your memory increase gradually, but slowly but surely, it should start increasing over time. And it may be so incremental that you don't even notice it, but that is a need and a requirement of getting to enlightenment is you're gonna need to have that memory because you need to retain the teachings to be able to apply them in daily life. If you weren't able to retain the understanding of the teachings, you wouldn't be able to apply them in daily life. Well, I know some people who have some uh, memories uh, from past lives, uh, and they aren't interested to know or to make sure that these memories that they have are from past lives. They are just memories from walking in some streets, uh, seeing a uh, um, old shops, old bus, you know, things like this. So is this uh, necessarily memories from past lives? 
if somebody's having memories of things that they experienced and they know that those things didn't happen in this life, then yes, they're from previous lives. And there's nothing that I can say to confirm whether that's true or not other than what I just said, because that person is inside their mind. They're the ones who experienced this life and they know what happened in this life. So if they're having memories above and beyond what they experienced in this life, those are the residual memories of previous lives. And they can just cross that off their list and just know that rather than kind of obsess the mind of trying to figure this out or not. Well, uh, are we here in this realm of uh, among the five realms to uh, be punished for what uh, unwholesome karma that we made or created in past lives? It's not wise or beneficial to ever think of anything you're experiencing as a punishment or as a reward because there's no being that's punishing you and rewarding you for anything that we've actually done. If anything at all, we punish ourselves because we make a certain decision, we think it's good, it comes back to us, we experience discontentedness, and we're kind of punishing ourselves for the, the mistakes that we've made. So for me, I think it's quite liberating to think about you coming into this human realm as being the most ideal place to exist as like a really beneficial thing. You know, the Buddha actually talked to his students about how much of a great experience that they're having because it's so rare to obtain the human state. And then to be able to obtain the human state and do that at the time that a Buddha was alive that is like enormously beneficial. So you now having this human state and being able to learn these teachings, it's highly beneficial for you. And this is like the most ideal thing that could ever happen for you. Whereas if we were human and we were just impoverished and having a really difficult time and struggling to fulfill our basic necessities in life, and we had no idea that there was even such thing as the Buddhist teachings, that would be a really horrible, challenging and struggle, a lot of difficulties in our life because we're struggling through life just trying to get our basic necessities met and we don't even know or have any awareness of anything called a Buddha or the path to enlightenment. That life is going to be a very hard life to live. So by coming into this human realm, we're not being punished by coming into the human realm. It's actually like a reward, even though there's no one giving us a reward. But because of all the decisions we made in previous lives, they were wholesome enough to get us here into this human realm. And now that we're in this human realm, we should take advantage of this and really apply effort and energy towards the attainment of enlightenment, not allowing this human birth to you know, be wasted. So if we have complacency in the mind, then we'll waste this human birth. But this human birth is quite a prized possession and it was based on all of our wholesome decisions from previous lives. And now that we're here and you actually have come in contact with the Buddhist teachings, this is like the best, most ideal thing that could ever happen for your life. But the reason why this is happening is because of your own decisions, not because anybody's rewarding you, not because anybody's punishing you, but you made the decision. You made countless decisions that ultimately landed you here in the human realm. And now that you're in the human realm, you've made multiple decisions that brought you closer and closer to these teachings to now be able to escape this whole cycle of rebirth. 
and it's your decisions that will continue to help you progress to enlightenment. So it's all a matter of our decisions, not anybody punishing us, but as a result of our decisions, our gamma, cause and effect, or action and result. Well, so uh, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again to the human world is not to fix things, but it's uh, uh, to provide the right teachings, right? Yes, yeah, so a lot of people have been taught that Jesus is going to come back into the world and float down from the clouds and he's going to snap his fingers and anybody who believes in him, he's going to take them to heaven with him and all the people who don't believe are going to stay here behind and you know burn up in hell, so to speak. But this isn't what Jesus said. This is what people have come to talk about and come to believe. But the first time Jesus came, he didn't come floating down from clouds. He came through the womb of a woman. And the second time he comes, he's going to come through the womb of a woman. And that's how he's going to enter the world. And the first time he was here, he delivered teachings to help people live a better life. The next time that he has come into the world, he's going to deliver teachings to help people live a better life. This heaven on earth that Jesus talked about, it's not about snapping his fingers and everything instantly becomes perfect. Because if he was going to do that, he would have did that the first time. And even if he did do that, as soon as he snapped his fingers and everything was perfect, because of the ignorance and unknowing of true reality, within a matter of seconds, everybody would be right back in the misery again. Because they would start making unwholesome decisions over and over and over again, taking themselves in the world back into darkness. So Jesus coming into the world a second time, his second coming, his rebirth, is to share teachings into the world to help all of humanity. It's individual beings of all of humanity that we are going to create heaven on earth, not Jesus. Jesus is going to share teachings. He's not even going to call himself Jesus when he's reborn the second time because his previous existence, he was Jesus. But because of the cycle of rebirth, this new existence, he's a new being. He has the same cravings from his previous life and he has residual memories from his previous life. But the teachings that he delivers are going to be teachings to help all of humanity, not snap his fingers and everybody goes off to La La Land and makes a, a wonderful world. That's not how any of this works. The way that this becomes heaven on earth is through our own efforts and having the wisdom to be able to do that. So even though we've been taught these things growing up, you can't see anywhere that Jesus actually said those things. These are just things that people talk about through this oral tradition of handing down story after story after story. But through each one of us learning and practicing these teachings, we can create heaven on earth for ourselves and for those around us. And as these teachings spread, more and more people will be able to learn and practice in such a way that all of the world can become enlightened. And Jesus would have described that as heaven on earth. Will he be teaching the same teachings that we see now in the Bible? In my opinion, no, because if his teachings that were in the Bible were 100% the truth and they worked, they would already be working. Why would he come back again to teach the same thing that he already taught the first time? He's going to have more wisdom the second time. The first time he was here, 
he wasn't enlightened. That's why he needed to be reborn. He wasn't fully enlightened. He didn't have the full wisdom that he needed in order to help liberate people's minds. So the first time he was here, his ultimate goal and objective was to convince people that there's just one God. So he had to perform all these miracles in order to convince people that he was who he said he was. And then during that lifetime, there was belief in many different gods. So during his lifetime, his main objective was to deliver some teachings. But then what he delivered, he only taught for a very limited period of time before people murdered him. And then the people who wrote down his teachings, they didn't really know his teachings 100% because they didn't really study with him very deeply because he only taught for a very short period of time before they murdered him. So what we see in the Bible is not 100% truth because it was written down by other people besides Jesus. And since Jesus wasn't fully enlightened and he didn't have as much time that he really needed to share the teachings on an in-depth level, then what we got in the Bible is that, you know, that small book. We've got 72 books inside of one book. So do we really think that all of the wisdom of the world is just in those 72 books within that small little book? No, there's a whole lot more wisdom that Jesus was working on cultivating that can ultimately be shared with the world on his second coming, that he'll be able to share those teachings with people in a much more detailed, much more clear, much more concise, much more precise way to be able to help people truly liberate their mind to enlightenment or what Jesus would have called the Holy Spirit, attaining this Holy Spirit or enlightenment. That's the way that this slowly works is that Jesus is going to have new teachings. It's not going to be the same thing that he taught before. He's not going to look the same. Uh, he's not going to have the same physical appearance because he's a brand new being, right? He, he's not even going to consider himself, you know, I am Jesus Christ because that I am has been eliminated from an enlightened mind. A reborn Jesus Christ isn't going to see themselves as I am Jesus Christ because that was the being before this. A new being that is being reborn into this world today who is the person who used to be Jesus Christ, isn't going to have that thought of I am Jesus Christ. They're not going to have that I am in the mind because they would have eliminated the self and realized non-self to be able to share the teachings as a fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. That's good, Marcy. Thank you for that explanation, teacher. Um, so my question to you is someone that has um, died while on the stages of the path to enlightenment, you said that they would be reborn into the human realm. Does the Buddha ever speak about like that duration? Like is it instantaneously or is there a period of like, you know, waiting for, you know, a birth to happen? Like, that's my question. Sure. I've seen a few places where he's talked about it. He never talks about it as an immediate rebirth, that a being is, you know, dies and then immediately reborn. He talks about, you know, there's kind of something in between, but he doesn't really say, at least the teachings that I've seen, he doesn't really say what that is. And I can speak from my own experience that the existence that I'm experiencing now and the existence prior to this, there was about almost 2000 years between them. And then that birth that I had before this, there was another human birth before that. And there was about 500 years between those births. 
So between the three human births, the first human birth to the second human birth, there was about 500 years. And the second human birth until today, there was almost about 2,000 years. So it's not an immediate rebirth. While we think that amount of time, like 500 years or 2,000 years, we think of it as a really long time. In reality, in the big scheme of things, 4.5 billion years, it's really just a short time. So it's not immediate. I know that for sure. And there are places where the Buddha talks about kind of like this holding spot for consciousness, but there's not a whole lot of detail on it because in reality, this is another one of those questions, Marcy, that it doesn't really matter. Sorry that that's the kind of the answer for some of your questions. These are great questions and these are like the same questions that a lot of people have, but there's certain things that are part of this path to enlightenment that, wow, it would be so interesting to know the ins and outs of all of that. But because it really doesn't have any direct correlation to whether you experience elimination of discontentedness right now, the Buddha actually didn't teach about it. There's a famous part of his teachings where he's walking through the jungle. You might have heard me share this story where he's walking through the forest and he reached down and he picks up some leaves in his hands and he says to the monks, he says, you know, what is more, all the leaves overhead and all the forest or these leaves in my hand? And the monks are like, of course, all the leaves overhead are so much more vast than the few little leaves you picked up in your hand. And he says, so too is the wisdom that I gained as part of my self-awakening. All the leaves and all the trees is representing all the wisdom that I acquired as part of becoming a fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha. But that which I'm going to teach you is only represented by these few leaves in my hands. And the reason why is he only ever focused on these few leaves because just learning that and awakening the mind to that level of wisdom, it's a big enough journey. It's a big enough challenge for the unrelated mind just to learn those few little leaves. So that's why he didn't teach all the leaves and all the trees. He just focused on these few that are in his hands. So I tend to do the same thing when I teach is even sometimes when I know answers to other things, I tend to focus students on just these few little leaves because that's what you truly need. So if you hear me say this occasionally about you don't need that in order to awaken to enlightenment, then the reason why we say that is so that we keep you focused on just the core path. And that way you don't have any distractions of taking you off or veering you off the path. You could just stay focused on the core path. Many thanks, Tishu. All right, so these are all the questions for today, right? All right. Well, I will just end by, of course, saying thank you for joining for today's class. As you see this topic of the cycle of rebirth, we could have six more hours, eight more hours, eight more days of talking about the cycle of rebirth. This particular chapter in this particular class is just a little bit of an introduction to help you start understanding it. By the time you maybe take this program, you know, a few times, you read this book a few times, by the time you get into the next program, which is the Pali Canon and English Study Group, there, even in that program, there's 12 books that we use in that program. It's not until book 11 that we start really diving into the cycle of rebirth in a lot of detail because it's really towards the end. You really don't need to know a whole lot about the cycle of rebirth in order to progress on this path. 
It's the eightfold path that you would really like to focus on. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, which includes your meditation, which includes cultivating your wisdom, your moral conduct, and your mental discipline. That's how you really liberate the mind. The Buddha shared these other teachings about things like the cycle of rebirth because it's the truth. It's the truth. And in order for you to get to enlightenment, you need to understand the truth. But as people are progressing on this path to enlightenment, one of the first questions that people ask is, okay, well, if I don't get to enlightenment in this life, what happens? Okay, well, now we need to talk about the cycle of rebirth. So that's why this is shared as part of the path, because it's a natural question to ask about this process of birth and death and so forth and so on. But in terms of liberating your mind to get to enlightenment, now that you're a human, anything that you experienced in births prior to this, all your countless births, those are all in the past. And thank goodness you've made it here. It's almost like we should have a party, like, yay, we all made it, right? We made it to this human existence. Let's celebrate. All right, now that the celebration's over, let's roll up the sleeves and get to work because we got to eliminate this discontentedness. So that's what we should really focus on. Not what happened in the past, not what happened in the future that you may have the potential of being reborn. If you're reborn, so be it. You've been reborn many times in the past, countless times, and here you are, right? But let's be sure we work to ensure that that doesn't happen again because that's where this misery keeps happening over and over and over again. But let's enjoy the fact that, yes, we're human, outstanding. Now let's get to work and let's learn this path to enlightenment so that we can enjoy the rest of this existence with a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. That's what this path is really all about. It's not about guilting, shaming, or fearing you based on what's happened in the past or what may or may not happen in the future because all of those things are outside of right now right now is really all that really truly matters so this is a good little introduction to kind of get you thinking about the cycle of rebirth and one of the reasons why i have it here in this first book is that people tend to experience a good amount of awakening as part of this journey even in the first three months six months a year worth of studying these teachings and you might start having residual memories and if you haven't learned about the cycle of rebirth, and if I hadn't put this in the first book, and you started having these residual memories, you would be kind of shaken up a bit. So here in this first book and in this class, you get a little bit of exposure to it. So if you start having residual memories, you can understand it. But more importantly, you can start seeing how your mind and the mind of people around you functions like an animal. If you experience the unenlightened mind and people around you are unenlightened, you're going to see this hostility, this aggression, this fierceness, this protection of a self, this protection of your territory, this holding on to possessions, not wanting to give and share, holding on to food, stealing, sexual misconduct, killing. Every time you turn on the news, that's what you're going to see. Killing, stealing, sexual misconduct over and over and over again, right? So you're going to see these animalistic things that are occurring in your own mind and the mind of people around you. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to ascend to this higher consciousness of enlightenment by shedding these animalistic instincts. So that's why this is in here to help you start understanding that.
Next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 21, which is titled, Do No Harm, The Future of Our Planet. Here, we're going to be discussing how this animalistic instincts, this craving, anger, and ignorance affects all decisions in our life, including what we're seeing with our planet in terms of the health of our planet. Now, while some people consider climate change and environmental damage and things like this, they consider it a political issue. I don't consider it that whatsoever. I consider that as we move to this higher consciousness and we're looking to make wiser and wiser decisions, it's important to look at our decisions and how we're impacting other beings through our decision making and how we're affecting this planet. Because if we attain enlightenment and we escape this whole cycle of rebirth, then we're going to be leaving behind a planet for other beings to sustain their life and potentially attain enlightenment at some point in the future. But if we don't attain enlightenment and we come back to this world again and again and again, we're going to be experiencing the results of our decisions. So it would be really wise of us to spend some time talking about the future of our planet and being sure that we kind of partake in making wise decisions about the health of our planet. So the way that I'll do next week's class is it'll be a group discussion rather than me really kind of teaching things. We're going to have a group discussion around the health of our planet and having you kind of contribute some ideas about how we can individually make wiser decisions in our life and things that you're doing to help improve the health of our planet. Not that you have to run out and improve the health of our planet, but through our individual decision making, we affect the health of our planet and we can kind of share ideas about things that we're doing and how we can share those ideas with others and we might learn something that we can actually do as part of our life. So we're going to be talking about that next Sunday. This Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. So you're welcome to join for our loving kindness meditation. And as a group, we can support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation. So you're welcome to join for our meditation session on Wednesday. So thank you all for your dedication and diligence to learning and practicing these teachings. I'll see you either next Sunday or maybe this Wednesday, maybe both of those days. In the meantime, have a very lovely rest of your day, and we'll see you next time. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.